Good evening, Sportzonians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Aglialoro. I am your host for this is Sports Zone. Recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the I-95 Sports and Entertainment Radio Network. We got a good show for you tonight. We'll be joined by both Dave Hastings and Eric Tressler. A matter of moments here. And we actually do have a lot to talk about tonight as the sports world looks to return to the field, to the court, to the hockey rink, however you want to phrase it. We seem to be moving closer to that even with all the perils out there. But we are going to talk a little bit about as much of that as possible. Patrick Mahomes has a brand-new contract, which stands to be one of the biggest on record. And we will get into that with everyone uh, when they come here. We got hockey, uh, the players and the owners coming to an agreement, not only on the return-to-pay, excuse me, return-to-play plan, but also on an extension to the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, So we got all that. We got baseball news. We know who we we have the schedules for both the Mets and Yankees, and we know how that's going to work out. We also know the opening day matchups. So we will get into that. Um, We got a little bit, probably a little basketball to talk about too. So we'll wind up getting into that. Um, but I'm going to say this. We'll start with baseball uh, as I wait for uh, Eric and Dave to come on the line. Um, so the opening day matchups for the Mets and Yankees. Mets will be taking on the Braves, and the Yankees will be taking on the Washington Nationals. And I plan on saying this when we have uh, more people here, obviously. But I, I want to say this now. Um I feel like baseball missed the golden opportunity here. I've heard Joe and Evan talking about this a lot recently, and I must say I agree with this sentiment. I understand the idea of hitting the Yankees against the Nationals to start the season, and I get the idea of putting that in prime time. You're going to have Garrett Cole starting for the Yankees. You're going to have the defending World Series champions in the Washington Nationals. Uh, So I get that, but I do feel like a golden opportunity has been missed there. And we'll get into that a little bit more later uh, when everybody else comes on, because right now uh, he's coming on. I think he's there right now. We do have Dave Hastings in the house after a one-week absence. Dave, a very happy belated birthday to you, my friend. How you doing? I'm doing good, Mike. Thank you very much. And uh, I missed you guys last week and happy to be here this week. Good, good, good. And my my mother did want to tell you that she said happy birthday. Oh, thanks, Mom. I appreciate it. Always happy to have you on with us. Yeah, I don't think she's going to be on tonight, but I will. Yeah, yeah, I will tell her that you said that, though. Um, So we got a few things to talk about tonight. What would you like to start with, my friend? I mean... If we're being honest, I feel like the the Patrick Mahomes deal and what that sets as a new standard is kind of the easy start-off point, if if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. No, I agree with you on that. Yeah, so we can go there. So I'm I'm looking it up just to get the uh, 
the uh, the definitive numbers, but I believe it's a ten-year, five hundred million dollar extension. Uh, he has two years left on his remaining deal, so it winds up being a twelve-year contract. Uh, in terms of how much money is guaranteed or not, I know when the contract was first announced, it was one of those things where they weren't sure exactly how much was guaranteed. I'm trying to find that right now. It's $140 million guaranteed, hmm. 12 years, $503 million. And it, he has numerous opt-out clauses. There's no a no trade clause, and most importantly for him is the dollar value itself can actually go up after the five year after the first five years of the new contract is done. So seven years total from now, so seven seasons from now, he actually his salary from then moving forward is tied to a percentage of the salary cap. So as long as they get the TV deals they expect to get and the endorsement deals they expect to get and those dollars flow in the way everybody expects them to flow into for the NFL, mm-hmm. then that man could end up making upwards of $600 million off of this contract total because they actually set it for the final five years as a percentage of salary cap. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. Um, but I will say this, I, like Cousin David posted an article in the chat from ESPN that I was actually reading a little bit of earlier. It doesn't seem like most NFL people really think this contract's going to make it to 10 years, though. I mean, if we're being honest, I wouldn't expect it to go to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that if there's one thing I do expect is that he's there for the entire 12 years. It just yes. won't be the same exact contract. Yeah, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. So he's got this contract. I, it's, it's crazy to me. So it's a $500 million contract with only $140 million guaranteed. That right there. Like, so we both know how football contracts work. Like we just said, we don't think it's going 10 years. This ain't the, the 500 million. That's really just the number on paper. You know, I feel like if he if he plays six years, I think he might get two hundred out of this. But I don't think anybody really thinks he's getting a full five hundred. All right. See, what I do think is he'll make more than five hundred million over the next twelve years through an NFL contract, whether mm-hmm. it's the same contract or not. And like I said, dude, when it's all said and done, this is locked and signed and settled so if the salary cap dollars keep rising and he's making more money then if you think about it he would have no motivation to try and renegotiate the only motivation for renegotiation is if is if the salary itself i'm sorry dealing with a dog um if the salary itself actually ends up being something that like he would make more by renegotiating but if it stays at a set percentage of the salary cap and they get and salary cap continues to rise the way they expect it to it would make no sense for him to renegotiate and for the team they already allotted a percentage of their salary cap for his salary so he could be making more money let's say they allotted 20 percent of the salary cap 
but the salary cap rises by $100 million. If he stays in this contract, he'll make more money than he's projected, expected to make right now, and yet the team will actually be spending less overall dollars on him on, on the year basis or at least on the impact of their overall salary cap because they already allotted for this. So they can plan for years ahead of time. Yeah. Yeah. Now that's, it's, it's crazy to think that this contract as much as it could be very good for Mahomes, could also be very good for the team too. And I'll throw this out there because cousin David is asking in the chat room, what if the union gets guaranteed contracts in the next collective bargaining agreement, which if I'm the owners and the union comes to me with that, I'm throwing them out of the room and saying, why would we give you guaranteed contracts when not one of you guys has individually asked for a guaranteed contract in a negotiation? Yeah, I mean, I will say, I think that it maybe isn't guaranteed contracts, but you also got to keep in mind, the Packers took that quarterback in the first round. He has a four-year deal that's all guaranteed money. They gave him a 100% guaranteed money contract as a, as a first-round backup quarterback. So that makes two contracts in the last 10 years that are fully guaranteed. That one and Kirk Cousins. Agreed. I'm just saying you yeah. saw it happen with a draft pick, True. which is the, which is the interest, more interesting side to me. Like, if I was going to give a player a, a guaranteed contract, I would have gave Aaron Donald five years for $100 million and been like, here, we're good. Like, we can be done with you in five years, and you can go do what the hell you want to do in five years, and we're going to get the best years out of your life. I'm cool. Let's roll with it. So I was kind of shocked by that. But it, all in all, I think you might see, for quarterbacks at least, what you might see is them being the first ones to start signing contracts that include a percentage of the salary cap for the longer-term deals. True, true. Be now, because then teams can really plan far ahead out and be able to look at other star players on their team that they want to resign and be like, okay, well, if we sign them now and the third year of their deal, they're going to count this much against our salary cap. We already know we have our quarterback locked in that year for counting this much against our salary cap. Can we feel the competitive team? Like it, it, it really could be an interesting route that the NFL, you see the NFL go at least with quarterbacks and like those, you know, the, the DeAndre Hopkins, the Michael Thomases, the, you know, those generational type talents, like I, I could see that start being a thing and everybody else, just like it is now is going to be fighting for the other, you know, whatever part of the pie. Yeah. Now that's true. I want to bring up something else. Cousin David saying in the chat room, cause I don't think he's a hundred percent correct on this. All rookie deals are guaranteed. I don't think that's accurate. No, all rookie deals are not guaranteed. Yeah. No, they, I'm sure a percentage of it is guaranteed, but if the team decides to cut you before the end of those contracts, they ain't paying you after that. No, it's a, it's a rot. There's a, so like the way it's worded for rookie contracts, a lot of it has to do with uh, roster bonus, playing time. Like, like your cousin mentions though, like those top couple picks. Yeah. The majority of that contract is guaranteed. Um, but that fifth year is completely up to the team. Mm -hmm. So that fifth year is not guaranteed for the player. That fifth year is not guaranteed money-wise. And out of the whole dollar amount, um, they're not I – pro I promise you, Cousin Dave, they're not 100% fully guaranteed. There's a yeah. percentage of that. It might be 80% that's fully guaranteed or 90%. Mm -hmm. It's a high number, but they're not fully guaranteed. 
And we're not talking, and with those rookie contracts, like we're not talking anything that amounts to anything close to what we see in terms of the figures that come out of free agency. Like, if I'm not mistaken, aren't most rookie deals only worth like $20, $30 million? You're, I think, I I think think, I'm in a ballpark, right? Yeah, I think like Burroughs contract's going to come in around like, four years for like high thirties, but he was the number one overall pick. Yeah. Um, the guy that green Bay drafted in what the late teens. Yeah. Jordan love. Love, He was what in the late teens. They took him. I think they gave him the guaranteed deal for like 22, 21. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, when you think about it like that, it's great that they have something, but you know, you look at the free agent deals, they get negotiated. We've seen one of them actually be fully guaranteed. And, you know, I have said before, I'll say it again. I don't think the union has a case to bring guaranteed contracts to a collective bargaining agreement until the individual players start fighting for guaranteed contracts. Because if I'm the owner, I'm not giving the union guaranteed contracts if I haven't seen the individual players fight for it. Well, yeah, because they're all focused on that guaranteed money because instead of waiting five years to get $100 million, if they sign a five-year $100 million deal with, let's say, $40 million guaranteed, mm-hmm. they get 25 of it in the first year and the other 15 in the second. So they, they want their money as soon as possible instead of later on. And the one thing, you know, we're not mentioning, most of these contracts, guaranteed or not guaranteed, you bet your ass there's an injury clause in there. Oh, yeah. So you ruin your career on the first snap of your first ever game. Even if you sign a guaranteed deal with $50 million, you're not walking away with all $50 million, I promise you that. That's a very good point. That is a very good point. All right. I got a couple things I wanted to bring up when Eric wait, wait. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's why I'm bringing this up now because I know Eric has could care less about talking about Dak and his contract. But Well, let's let's go there, actually. How do you think this affects Dak con- Dak's contract? Because I know everyone is hung up on the money aspect, but everything I'm reading, it seems like it's more of a year. Uh, it's more of a length of the contract that's the holdup with that extension. So, like, how do you think something like this affects that? So, the whole thing has been, like, a contract. Dak wants four years at, like, 30. They're pretty much even on the money. Hmm. Uh, It's really the length at this point. So, I think what you're going to see happen, and I think the impact this has, uh, and I retweeted an article, Mike, that you should definitely try to find on Twitter uh, by Patrick Walker that really – really dives in to the impact this has on the negotiations and how it can actually benefit both Dallas and Dak. Um, Specifically, the two main points that he made was that in Dallas's case, it gives them the opportunity to say, like, look, we can give you more guaranteed money. You know, we'll come in a little lower than Mahomes on the per year, but, like, why don't you give us five years now instead of the four? And for Dak, he's able to ask for more money now that Mahomes has set the ceiling. So it it, it really could work in both favor. Um, and I, I re- I'm very interested to see like how it unfolds because I mean they have what seven a week from tomorrow 
to come to a long-term agreement or he plays under the tag. And if you do the math and they have to tag him again next year, on average, he's only going to be making about a million dollars less than Mahomes anyway. So why not give him the longer-term deal and spread, you know, that impact of that money over several years instead of have it hit you two years in a row? That's a very fair point. That's a very fair point. What are you, Dave Hastings23 on Twitter, right? Uh, yeah, I think it's David Hastings23. Okay. I never remember if you do David or Dave. All right. Try to find that. Um, got this. Yeah. All right. Um, sorry. It's hard for me to see my computer screen right now when the sun is going down. Like too much, too much glare, too much glare. That was one of the good things about nine o'clock. I didn't have to deal with that. Um, all right, so we got that. Uh, shout out to Fife in the chat. Uh, he just got here. When he's ready to come on, you just throw a shout out there because we're going to talk a little hockey tonight with him. Uh, whenever he's ready, there. But I want to bring up something first. I'm going to bring this up again. When Eric comes here, do you have anything else you'd like to say about football or basketball or anything like that? Anything else you think is important to talk about? I mean, the way things are unfolding, I think it's going to become less and less likely that we're uh, going to see these sports start back up. But time will tell with that. And yeah. we've had our fair share of conversations already. Well, I feel the need to bring it up because we both know what Eric would say to you saying that about football. I mean, I'm leaning right now more toward more basketball uh, uh, and baseball, yeah. but uh, yeah, because I, I still it's hard to disagree with the nothing's going to stop the shield because it's hard to imagine anything stopping the shield. I heard a quote from someone today: uh, the idea that football thinks that the virus is just going to bend to its will. Uh, that's yeah, the, I mean, it, that sounds like something Eric would say. Yeah, it just. Um, <laughs> It's just, it must be nice to have that confidence in your machine, but uh, I, I don't know if that's going to be believable. It would be very interesting to see what happens. What do you think of the idea that the players don't like, like because they cut the preseason in half to two games, and now the Players Association, they approved a proposal to just completely eliminate the preseason games. I got two feelings about this. Number one, I, as much as I get it, I think that's a dangerous idea in terms of quality of play when we do come back. And, and my other thought is that just because you cut the preseason games, that doesn't make the risk of the spread go down. Oh, God, no. It really yeah. doesn't. But, I mean, honestly, at this point, that probably, would, to me, if I'm football, would be the thing that scares me more than anything else is we have more players – You're right? Sorry, dude. The dog. Oh, got you. On the stairs. Oh, nice. All yeah, right. Sorry, dude. My bad. Um, <laughs> sorry. Well, sorry. It, it's a puppy. He's like 10 months old. Nice. Nice. Yeah, he, he's yeah. fine. He's adorable, but he's still learning. Yeah. Well, you got your own sprinkler system there, so you got that going for you. There you go. But, yeah, yeah. so, like, I think if I'm football, that'd be the thing that would scare me the most is the fact that, like, when you think about it, we have more players on the field. We have more close contact than any other sport. 
it's like a freaking breeding ground. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. no other way to put it. Like, it's like a freaking breeding ground. So, it, if I'm football, I'm petrified by that. Like, literally petrified by how much it's shooting up. I mean, if you think of some of the states, too, Florida and Texas, you have five of the 32 teams in that state, in those two states alone. Oh, wait, then you go to California and in the L.A. area where it's kind of shooting up again, and then all of a sudden, wait, you got two more teams playing there. So you have seven teams out of 32 in three of the states where things are getting really bad again. Not a good sign. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really not. It's it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays out in all the sports, especially, you know, since they're starting to do the testing, you're seeing more and more players come down with it. And baseball is going to be the very interesting – baseball is going to be the weird one to watch with this because your season's only 60 games. It's only going to be two months. If a big-name star like Freddie Freeman's already gone down with this thing, if he ain't back in time for the start of the season, you know, you talk about losing a cornerstone player to something like this, and he's going to be out a minimum two weeks, and you don't really know what the recovery time is going to be. That's a large portion of your season right there. Not even to talk about, you know, what happens if people wind up getting it in football. Like you said, with football, more players on the field than any other sport. It's just – it's and, yeah, now David brought up something, the idea that the NFL is thinking about – because they want fans in the stands, the idea of getting fans to sign a waiver, absolving the NFL of any blame if they get the virus. If you, you know, as, as great as it would be to see a live NFL game, do you really want to sign a waiver like that to have to go see one? Look, I don't have to sign. I didn't have to go sign a waiver last year to go see a game. I got invited to three different games without having to pay for a ticket, and I chose not to go. Mm. If I'm going to watch football, the best experience, and we all know it, is on your couch at home with a big screen TV and a cheap beer. <laughs> so, no, I'm not signing a waiver and wait, you know, clearing the NFL of any type of lawsuit because I put myself at risk. Mm. Yeah. Now, I agree with you on that one. All right. So, with that, I'm going to bring him on right now. Uh, we're going to talk a little hockey here. So I am going to bring him on, like I said, as soon as the button works. All right, Fife, you got to do something on your end. It's not letting me unmute you. It's like, it's like I'm trying to pull him on, and Fife's like, no, don't bring me on. All right. How's that? Okay, I think we got him. Eric Pfeiffer, how you doing, my friend? All right, can you hear me all right? Yeah, you sound pretty good. All right, the Fife is here to enlighten your life. There you go. There you go. Thanks for coming on, buddy. I appreciate it. No that. problem. How are you guys? Yeah, I'm all right. I think Dave is still in the middle of dealing with his dog. That's all right. <laughs> so we'll go on here. So the main reason I wanted to bring you on, like, because obviously yesterday the NHL, the Players Association, and the union, they came to an agreement not only on the restart plan, but for a collective bargaining agreement that adds another four years to the terms of the current one. Uh, they still got to vote on it, from what I know. NHL Board of Governors has to vote on the approval. I don't think that happened today, though, right? That didn't happen today? I'm not sure. I know that it's, uh, it's pretty much a lock to go through from everything that I've seen, uh, mm. four-year extensions going okay. on. You know, so. So, so the restart plan, they paused on March 12th. They're going to restart the season. They got – 
the Eastern Conference playing games in Toronto, Western Conference playing games in Edmonton, Canada. As for the terms of the actual collective bargaining agreement, um, where is it? New CBA calls for a flat salary of $81.5 million for next season. It will remain until league hockey-related revenues reach $4.8 billion, which was the amount projected for this season before it was paused. A one-time 10% salary deferral by the players next season paid back over the course of three seasons beginning in the 2022-23 season. Capped escrow withholdings each season starting at 20% next season to make up the revenue shortfall for the owners before falling to 6% in the last year of the deal and a return to the Winter Olympics in 2022 and 2026 pending a deal between the NHL and the IOC. So, like, Fife, I want you to speak on this, but I got two questions for you before you get started on that. And the first question is, so when we talked about the hockey restart plans about a month ago, the idea was they were going to try to do it in Vegas. What led to them deciding to do it in Canada? I think, uh, honestly, they're just – I don't even know that you can sit here and say that Canada is guaranteed. But right now with all that's going on in the U.S., probably uh, something with international travel and things of that nature probably have mm-hmm. something to do with it. Um, but, I mean – let me start by saying up until yesterday, I was all for the NHL restarting. I was all for it. And then I saw a number yesterday that in one day they got 35 guys who tested positive for COVID-19. Right. And now you just re you extended your players, your, uh, your bargaining agreement another four years. So why don't we just call it, man? Like, honestly, at this point, I know everybody's going to hate this answer. And I still have the guys that I think are going to win and who's going to do better. And I still have all that information. I'm still excited to watch it if it happens. But the downfall to me is, like, at the end of it all, are we going to have to put COVID-19 as a player on the team who wins the Stanley Cup? Like, is it going to be the the healthiest team that survives? Like, you know, you talk about Freddie Freeman and baseball affecting the Braves and things of that nature. In hockey, it's totally different. You know, it could be 35 guys. I haven't read the names of who they are yet. They could be role player guys, but those are the guys you need. You know, it's not, they're not, it's not like in football where you lose your 40th man on the roster. It's no big deal. You just a guy who's practicing. I mean, these guys are playing every four shifts. And uh, when you lose two of them, I mean, 35 guys tested positive, you got 24 teams. I'm sure that number is going to go up. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) to me, it's, it's, it's going to, it's, and with what's going on now with spikes in other places, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, how are you going to guarantee people that you can start a playoff structure with a bubble, so to speak, uh, filled with players where each team can have 52, 30 players max, unlimited amount of goalies, but 52 uh, executives, whoever, team management coaches, people in around. How, how can you possibly say it's going to work? and guarantee it and protect these players. This is why I don't blame a guy like Panarin for not wanting to do it, especially, I mean, let's be realistic. Uh, The Rangers and the Flyers have done a good job of rebuilding, both about a year or two away from being competitors. If Panarin thought the Rangers had a legitimate shot to win the Cup, there's no hockey player in the world who's going to trade that in for his health. It's just not how we work. But the Rangers don't have a legitimate shot. So do I, in my opinion. So do I blame Panarin for backing out, especially without Panarin? They don't. No. Do I blame these players for wanting to protect themselves? No. Do I think the NHL did it properly? Yes. They said 
on Sunday, they said, this is our restart plan. Teams need to have their final rosters in by Thursday. Players, you have until Tuesday to opt out with no penalty. So that's one of the reasons why I think the CBA is also going to pass because I feel like the players haven't really had any penalties from all this. Like it's kind of just resumed, you know, they've still been taken care of, you know, they're not, the NHL has done it right, I think. So that's why I think they're willing to take some of those concessions, realizing that the Mm -hmm. business has been affected by this and every business has been affected by this. So the players are, you know, they understand that they have to take a step back and look at the situation and realize that it can And the players with longevity, let's be real, the players with longevity are the ones running the CBAs uh, or the, uh, the, you know, the players associations, I mean. So those players with longevity are the ones who are like, yeah, if you're going to pay me back in three years, I'm cool with it. Those guys short term, they got no say anyway. So those are the guys who are going to get screwed, the guys who maybe only have a year or two in the NHL. Yeah. No, that's very good point. Very good points on that one. And we do welcome Eric Tressler here tonight. Eric, how you doing? Um, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. All right, Eric, so we're talking about the hockey restart and the passing of the new collective bargaining agreement and all that stuff. So I'm definitely going to get your thoughts on it. But Fife, you had brought up Panarin. Last week, I had kind of wanted to get you on because I wanted to talk about Panarin's comments that he had made, I guess it's been two weeks ago now. And he, the comments that he made for nearly two decades, the players have protected the owner's income with escrow, including throughout this pandemic crisis, even as owners' equities continue to grow exponentially. It's time to fix the escrow. We as players cannot report to camp to resume play without already having an agreement in place. We are all in this together. Now, as I mentioned, the escrow is part of this collective bargaining agreement. And just to give the uninformed, you know, some basis to this, according to ESPN, the current financial system in the NHL involves a 50-50 split in revenue between the players and the owners. The escrow system, which calls for a percentage of withholding from players' paychecks each season, maintains that balance by either funneling money back to the owners in the case of a revenue shortfall or having it refunded to the players. So as I read that, the escrow is basically the owner's security blanket if they lose money here. Do, yeah, this, and, can you blame them? I mean, aren't they taking the most risk financially? Well, sure, sure, especially in a season like this. And, you know, we talked about popularity in terms of hockey. Obviously, it's growing. But I, 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 I don't think I'm saying anything wrong if I say it still has a ways to go. To being a, a household thing, so I get that. But let me ask you something: with this collective a bargaining agreement, do you think the escrow system was fixed to Panarin's intent and the players' content? Well, that I, I mean, I, I wouldn't know until I started to see players' comments mm. on it. You know, and we'll know more about that. But from what I understand, that everything I've been hearing that that four-year extension. So, uh, I mean, if there's anything, the Panarin was about a week ago, right? And then they came out with the extension. I think it was, I, I, Panarin's comments, I believe, were about two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. And then they came out with the extension on Sunday, and then all reports positive from what I hear. Yeah. So, I mean, that could be either way. You know, that could be just them boosting the reports to put pressure on the players. You never know. Mm-hmm. Like, that's one way to do it. You know, you just put everything out there positive from an owner's standpoint. And, 
and that everything looks great and we've talked to them everything seems great and then it makes the players look bad if they go back on it but that's the stuff i stay you know i don't i don't know man that's like the part of sports that's never really been my expertise is all that the money stuff like that's why uh, what's killed hockey honestly is the lockouts that's why they're not a household name but what's going to help them is because naturally uh the, the nicest way to say it the sport uh is easily unpolitical in a negative way right and there's a lot of sports fans out there who are getting fed up with seeing the extras when they just want to watch sports and there's going to be a lot of those sports fans who are going to be looking for a fast hard-hitting game to watch and they're going to start to understand it and it's going to I'm never going to, I'm not saying it will ever pass football, but it's definitely going to nip the heels and probably overtake basketball at some point um, until this political climate calms down and the NFL has realized that it needs to distance itself because that's not what the majority of fans want. They don't want to deal with that stuff. It just, that's their time to get away and watch sports. So as I see, I talk to people and people who have done it already and more and more people want to do it. They don't watch anymore. So they're going to be looking for something else. That's what happened down in Texas. All them kids who didn't like football found hockey. And now hockey is the biggest sport in Texas other than football. That's crazy to think about. You wouldn't think hockey coming to Texas. but They have more uh, professional uh, teams in hockey in Texas than any state or province. Really? Okay. I yes. did not know that. All right. Well, I'll throw I'll throw it to Eric next, then, and then Dave, I'll get your thoughts afterwards. Uh, Eric, if you don't want to copy, uh, comment on this, you just want to copy comment on the whole thing. Go ahead. But let's hear what you have. Well, to say, I mean, Eric. I do want to comment on the on the popularity of the sport because I, I agree with with everything you guys are saying as far as the sport is definitely growing, coming back from where it was, coming back from where it lost during the lockouts. It is fun. It is exciting. Um, I know that I know not everybody in a lot of hockey purists aren't aren't big fans of some of the rule changes they've made in, in you know with you know in terms of overtime and things like that, but it has added I think a little bit more excitement for the casual fan, which is I think what they were looking to try to draw back in. Um, I think it is gaining in popularity, but my question would be I heard you mention basketball, but everybody talks right now about how basketball is nipping at the heels or has might have already overtaken baseball as the second sport in America, much to like my, my sadness. And I'm sure Mike's sadness too, for guys who love baseball, um, the popularity. And I, I know that what would happen here with the players and the owners didn't help their situation as far as popularity. Um, could you actually be saying that hockey may have a standing fighting chance, maybe not now, but in, say, five to ten years, about becoming America's second most popular sport? Uh, it could if the right people start buying into it. And it all depends. Honestly, I think what's going to affect our, our sports is going to be politics right now, unfortunately. Sucks, and the one right? that can it, it does, but think about the sport that can easily the most easily stay away from it, and always try and flip it positively. Like, uh, like I, you know, if you if you watch that Valiant, like that was about the shootings in Vegas and how the Vegas Knights came together and rallied with that city. And there's a reason for that. It's because like having played junior hockey, when you go into a situation like that, it's drilled in your head from the start 
that those people are why you're there. You understand? So like, it's not like you're not handed a scholarship or you're not handed all this money right away. Like while these guys got to work to get to where they're at constantly. And so do the other guys. But part of that work is public relations. And that's where hockey kind of overtakes some other sports. Baseball is really good with public relations too. Um, but uh, as you said, they're dropping. I, I, I don't know. Say not recently. And then, you know, it depends on how yeah. political it gets, to be honest. Because like I said, there's people who are just sick of it. Like me, like I don't want any of that in my sports. I just want to watch sports, man. Well, yeah. if, I can, if I can just throw one in thing real quick, and then Eric, you can go. Baseball has also done a good job, in my opinion, of not getting involved in the politics either. Because you don't really see too many baseball players making political stance and things like that. Like, you can say what you want about the negotiations and everything, but I haven't really seen too much in terms of the way of politics involved. One thing about how long they've been around comparatively to to, to some others. and Like, they've been through a lot of different political climates as a league, Mm -hmm. and they know how to handle them. And the best way to handle them is just play baseball. Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Well, no, I think that the NFL knows how to do it right. They have certain cases where, you know, the, the, they, they're really good at it and certain people are good at it. it to go to your, your uh, point there, Fife, about Valiant and about what the Vegas Knights did rallying around that, that city, I mean, Drew Brees, instrumental after Katrina down in New Orleans and winning that Super Bowl. And I mean, what he means to that community down there, he would never mean to another team he'd ever play for. So that's why he, he's been there. He'll continue to be there and he'll retire the greatest, you know, saint ever. It's a, you know, he has that connection. Same thing with JJ Watt. What JJ Watt has done down there in Houston after they had the flooding and the money he raised, I mean, you have a ton of people all around the league, and I know I'm just touching on it. I wish the NFL would focus more on the positive stories because I know that the amount of the, the number of positive stories coming from NFL players and the things they're doing around their community far outweigh the amount of negative things going on between all the politics and nonsense. And that's why I cannot agree with you more, Fight. They have to find a way to get away from the politics side of it and just start showing good humanitarian efforts. Just start being showing all the goodwill that the NFL and the NFL players do around the league and around the community and stop the focus on the national politics. Well, and the big they difference do that, too, that's, like, and that's what hockey's doing. That's what baseball's doing. That's what certain regional sports do. But base football's just gotten too big for its britches. Well, think about it too. Like football, like they choose which stories they want to tell you. Like you hear about Drew Brees, you hear about J.J. Watt. Those are the big ones. They're marketable ones. Football does everything off a of market. The guy who connected the city with Vegas was from Vegas. You know, he was like a third line, second line defenseman. Uh, it's just an, like kind of like a note, like that whole team almost. They were all castaways. But like, so it's it's just, I don't know. They It's, it's different to me. Like why, I know that there's a lot more lower level players who do a lot more, or just as much, maybe not a lot more. You can't do more than what Drew Brees did and J.J. Watt, but like just as much as what they, those guys did, but you don't hear about them because it's not marketable because they're not the big-name players. And the NFL could really help their situation if they talked a little more about that. You know, the, the smaller guys who are still out there, they're not making $100 million, but they're still out there helping their old communities and, and helping people. 
and they need to market that type of stuff and they don't they just look at the big name marketable stuff and that's all they are that shield is a money maker and that's all they've ever been and that's all they ever care about and they'll do whatever they think they need to, to keep the money coming <laughs> out of their pockets true true honestly i think um that's a really good point to kind of just mention is like the only time you ever see like some of the quote unquote no name players in the NFL doing things is what Thanksgiving and Christmas. Or like local. you see that. Yeah. Like you see them and you know, with one or two big names, but the cameras always focus on the big names. Meanwhile, if you follow some of these guys on Twitter and you know, their social media pages, like these guys spend almost half their fucking free time doing some type of charity event or some type of thing to help out the local community. And it really is something that the NFL is missing a really great chance to, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but grow their brand even more. And, and it's a, it's a definite missed opportunity, but like Fife straight up mentioned, like they just want to market the big name players that everybody's heard of because that's an easy conversation starter between two different casual fans. They're like, Oh, did you see what Drew Brees did for New Orleans? Like, it's an easy conversation because they know everybody that might walk by them would know who Drew Brees is. Right. And then, like, Eric, my question was, you know, in the beginning I was – I said, uh, like, I've been all about this whole, re, you know, the NHL trying to get this playoffs done up until yesterday when the 35 positive tests came back in one day. Uh, and then to me it's like, well, what are we looking for, the healthiest team? Like, what do you think about that? Because to me I feel like they should just – Wash it away, make sure this four-year CBA extension gets done, and focus on the future so that we don't have COVID-19 as one of the players on the, the bracket on the Stanley Cup. You know what I mean? Like, what is the healthiest team going to survive? Is that it? It's ridiculous. Fife, you said that, and I literally had to mute my phone so I didn't interrupt you while laughing. <laughs> I th That was one of the funniest things I've heard drop on dropped on this show is, like, so is COVID-19's name going to be etched on the Stanley Cup as well? Like, how are we going to handle it? Like, you had me dying. Oh, my God, I thought that was great. Brian, to go to that point, though, with, with the 35 positive test swipe, was that out of all the teams tested and how many people were tested? Because I wonder if that's 35 across the entire league you're looking at, like, it's and they're testing not only players, but they're testing staffs, too. So, I mean, you're looking at probably one a team then, average-wise. Of the 26 coming back, it was uh, those were the ones that it was 35 players. From what I read, you never know with information that you read right away. It could be doctored up later on to be the truth and, and whatever. But from what I read, it was 35 players uh, in one day from the 26 teams who were coming back. Uh, yeah, I don't know. To me, that doesn't sound because baseball. I think, if I'm day, not mistaken, had a up. similar. Baseball had a similar number to that, their first round of testing, too. And I think baseball ran at about, if I'm not mistaken, somebody might be able to correct me, but I think it was 5% of the players came back that tested positive. And you have to look at it. Well, if 95% of the players are healthy and you can quarantine that other 5% that just tested positive, you keep testing, you could probably wean that number down and, and be able to save a season because you could play with if you have 90 to 95% of your players. So I, yeah, I don't know. I think the, it's the a weird balance. Like the, the problem that's where for me it's tough because you got your four lines and, and the, each player has their role and they're important. And, and in the playoffs, me, you don't see a lot of in and out of the lineup. So now you're bringing in another guy. Uh, you know what I'm saying? And it, it's hockey's a different animal in that locker room. That's uh, that's hard to say because I was you know not everybody believes it when you say it, but it's say it. But, each player has their role, and that role is important. The St. Louis Blues do not win without their fourth-line center last year. 
Mm. And that's just the way it is. If I can just interject one thing here real quick. And Cousin David's bringing up in the chat room that many of the uh, Major League Baseball players were asymptomatic. The quarantining, yes, that's great and everything, but the problem with this whole thing is that you don't know how long they've had the virus before they get the positive test. You don't know who they've interacted with before they get the positive test, and you don't know who they spread it to before the positive test, and that's going to be the problem. So whereas only but that's yes and no. These all these players were supposed to be quarantining themselves and getting ready anyway. Yeah, but just because so, you're I mean, if they tested, they were probably around their family. Happen. Yeah, but I'm just saying you could probably contact trace it back and figure out who they've seen, who they've talked to, and whatever else. They do have that now. People are doing that. So I mean, I don't think yeah, it's that far fetched. Well, and the I, plan listen, for I, restart is the first of August, right? So if they can get these, yeah. that's what, enough ways the way. To me, if they can get to a point, to me, 35 players on 26 teams is a big impact, uh, especially when I don't know who they are. That's another yeah. thing. Right? If they were big names, I'm sure we would have heard. But like a backup goal, you know, Bishop goes down for Dallas, you're in trouble. But if we could get away from that at some point, and if you guys want to know picks and talk actual games and sports and teams and stuff like that, I'm in on that too because I have some of that ready if you'd like. I'd get your opinion on your on your thoughts on it. I haven't looked enough at the at the you know schedule and all that. So, um, if you can enlighten us on some of that and maybe give us some of your picks, I think that'd be awesome. Well, actually, before you do that, I just want to say one thing. To go to your point about does COVID belong on the world on um, the Stanley Cup trophy? I will say I feel like all these sports are going to wind up turning into episodes of Survivor yeah. at some point. I just think it's going to happen. Like maybe I'm being a little over dramatic there. But I do think all these seasons, no. baseball, basketball, no. hockey. What are you talking? Are you talking to me or the dog? The dog. My bad. I thought okay. it was you. No, fair enough. Fair. Enough. I just wanted to make sure we distinguish that. Even football, to an extent, I do think health this season is going to be so important because Fife, like you brought up, we don't know who tested positive so far. And you know, if you believe the. Um, the security that they're talking about, we won't know who tests positive. They're just going to go on the injured list, and we're not going to – they're supposedly not going to release who goes on what type of injured list. If some big-name players wind up going down, uh, it, this could have a big impact on all these seasons. And the health is going to be so important to all these seasons that I don't think calling it an episode Survivor is totally out of the realm of possibilities on that. So, Fife, go ahead, though. Uh, well, you know – what interests me about it is this whole holdup, right? I feel like when you have a holdup like this, then you go into a playoff scenario. Yeah, you got guys training right now, six players to it uh, at a time. And then on the 13th, I believe it is when they're going to let players go back to the facilities. I think uh, what's going to be dominant from the start is honestly, first of all, Boston. Everybody thinks Boston. Everybody knows Boston. Boston's a heavy favorite. They have the chemistry. That's why they come out of the gates every year better than everybody because of that chemistry, and they're still young enough. Uh, so, to me, Boston's a heavy favorite out of the East and possibly to win it. Um, Colorado's an interesting team to watch because they're uh, young. Eric, you're the betting guy. So, what I need – I actually have a question for you before I really get into it all. Because, uh, right. you know, I'm not good with the gambling. Like, So, it says Dallas plus 1,600. What are, the, what are those uh -huh. odds? That's not uh, your. Uh, well, I mean, that would be like if you bet, if you bet a thousand, you're gonna win sixteen hundred. Right. So you're so only gonna really win sixteen. You're only gonna win six hundred bucks for your for your thousand bet. 
yeah, on top, right? Yeah. Well, for me to win the cup, that's the best bet. It's like Boston's plus 600, Dallas plus 1,600. I think if Dallas can get through the round robin uh, and the first round, once they make it to the second round, Oh, oh, wait, say that again. Oh, wait, who was 16 and who was uh... – so, so Dallas is 16, plus 1,600, and Boston's plus 600. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I gave you bad information. It's, uh, I was going to say, does that mean – on... if, if you were to bet 100 on, say, uh, uh, Boston, right, you said Boston's plus 600, you would yeah. get 600 back for your bet on Boston. Right, right. 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 I was going to say, oh, you yeah. only, you so only for, 60 for 1600, bucks? No, no, no. For 1600, what it would be is if you put $100 down, you'd get like 1600 back. Yeah. Right. So for me, the best bet pre all this stuff to win it is Dallas. And the reason is I feel like they have the team to do it. They have depth. They have, you know, Joe Pavelski. They have two guys there, uh, older guys who haven't won a cup, but have made it very deep in the playoffs before. Uh, they have youth there as well. But the biggest thing for me with them is they started slow. Uh, they are the people are going to think I'm crazy. They're the 20 because they're the 26th. Uh, team in the NHL for goals for, uh, but they also started very slow and came on strong They had a very good second half of the year. And I think their veteran leadership had a lot to do with bringing their youth along. So for me, for them, the restart is what's going to be tough, but if they can push through the first round, that team has the best chance to win the cup because of their leadership, because of their youth. And also because their leading goal scorer up to the season's end only had 20 goals. They spread out the scoring and in the playoffs scoring tightens up, and being able to have multiple people put the puck in the net in different situations is huge. See, whereas Boston relies on the chemistry of their top line, and then they have a lot of depth behind it. That top line dominates. Uh, Dallas can spread it around. I'm honestly thinking we're going to see a Dallas-Boston final. But Colorado could put a kink in that because they're young, fast, and have chemistry. So Colorado's another interesting team at plus 900 out of the West. Uh, and to- Toronto out of the East also is young. But discipline is tough for them. They're young guys. Uh, they're not as – they don't train as hard as the rest of the league for some reason in everybody's opinion. And it's got to be true because they're so good and they never go anywhere. Um, but they're also an interesting team to watch. I think you know, Edmonton's a wild card. The Penguins in Washington, you always got to watch for it, But I just don't think they're going to be able to restart. Um, well, and, me, and the what, Rangers what? in Philly, are, are, their momentum was killed by this season ending. Well, that, I just think they're two years away from it. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you, actually. With this shortened season, with the way the Rangers were pushing it towards the end of the regular season here before things she got shut down, I'm wondering, could that young team, if they get some momentum back with a goalie like, like you know, Lundqvist at the end, maybe looking to stand on his head, he might be able to put together, you know, 2025 20, solid, real, real good games for you down the stretch. He's probably a little rested. He, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, but again, I'm looking at it through a Rangers fan's eyes, kind of. So I, I don't know. Maybe my my opinion skewed, but I, I just, I, I would want. What are the Rangers' odds, by the way? I just wonder. Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I even looked them up because I just, like, I wanted to you start can't out by saying they're very good. They're not. If the Dallas is 1600, like, you know, the Rangers got to be plus 24. I mean, it would be off the top of my head, maybe. You know. Um, but, uh, it's just for me, I've just, I want to start out by saying that I think Philly and the Rangers have done a good job of rebuilding their team and they're one or two off smart off seasons away 
from having a true contender. Henrik still has one or two left in him if they keep him around, in my opinion. But uh, I just never thought this was the year. Uh, I, I don't think uh, Kako's as ready as I thought he was going to be. Uh, he's a good player, but uh, he's going to start dominating a little bit later, maybe next year or the year after. And then they just have a couple of pieces. They need a better blue line, and they're there. But they have to be smart over the next offseason or two. And I, I just think, like I said, a lot of people were asking the same thing about the Devils. They had a lot of momentum. If they had made it into the round robin, did they have a chance because they were winning hockey games? I don't think so because it's really hard when you have a momentum like that to just stop and then get back into it again. That's very true. That's very true. Dave, you want to throw anything in? I mean, I, I just want to kind of go off what your cousin's saying. Like, it would be a bad look if we saw a professional athlete that's a big name with pictures of them on a ventilator or anything like that. But I really just hope that we get lucky enough that we can have sports and preferably start getting back to normal, I think. That's kind of where my mind kind of drifted off, looking at the chat with your cousin. And uh, besides that, I, I got to say, having somebody fight, you being here and dropping this hockey knowledge is awesome. Yeah. And having somebody be able to talk about it confidently is also awesome because me and Eric are more just like, you guys really need to start watching hockey. Hockey does not have enough people that watches the sport. Mike is like, I'll try to watch hockey. I think I could enjoy it. And that's really well, all we Dave, have. Dave, you're giving me more credit than I deserve on that. Most days I'm just like, oh, I know what hockey is. Well, <laughs> but the, the it, biggest I, thing I, I hear from like, people is... Really happy, really happy to have you on here. Like I mentioned in the chat before, maybe the only man I've ever actually known that has a deeper voice than I do. <laughs> it's a battle of the deep it's two Barry Whites right <laughs> let's go <laughs> a lot of people who don't watch hockey their thing is they always say and Fox tried to fix it with their stupid little lights I, I can't follow the puck it's because the reason you can't watch is because you're trying to follow the puck watch a player's body language and eventually you're going to know where the puck's going to go but it's all about watching the players and what they're doing and how they're moving and if you're a basketball fan hockey is really 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 easy to pick up it's five on five. It's a lot of the same systems. Mm. Not as much cross-checking in basketball as they used to. <laughs> right, I will right. say that. Right. But That'd a lot of the, that the would puck be. movement and ball movement, the way you move them around the zone, believe it or not, are a lot the same. So a basketball player really can pick up on a hockey system and, and vice versa um, easier than any other sport. True. Sure. Sure. All right. Does anybody um, – Anybody got any final thoughts on this? Because I got one thing I want to bring up with everybody here real quick, but it's not about hockey. So anybody got any final thoughts? Just happy Fife was able to make it. And even Eric, I know it sounds like Eric's had a long day. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I want to go to baseball real quick. And this is something I want everybody's thoughts on because, you know, Eric and me, we're obviously the two big baseball fans, but Fife is a Braves fan. So I definitely want his opinion on this as well. So they announced the schedules yesterday for baseball. No, I'm good. But just another long one. Huh? Okay. Anyway, um, so they announced the schedules for baseball yesterday. Um, and the Yankees will be opening the season in prime time. I believe it's on ESPN taking on the Washington Nationals. And the Mets will be opening the season taking on the Atlanta Braves. 
I I have a thought on this. I don't know if Eric's going to agree with me, but like I said, I wanted everybody's opinion on this. I feel like baseball missed the golden opportunity here because after everything that has gone on during this whole off off time and everything, the idea of getting people to come back to the sport and be excited about it. Um, I get the idea of the Yankees playing the defending World Series champions, but in terms of a national level, I don't think the Nationals have that national popularity. And I feel like baseball missed the golden opportunity because I feel like the opening matchup for the baseball season in primetime should have been Garrett Cole, last year's Cy Young Award winner in the American League, if I'm not mistaken, going against the National League two-time defending Cy Young Award winner Jacob deGrom. It should have been Mets and Yankees to open the season, in my opinion. Because you would have gotten the entire New York baseball fan base to get excited behind that one, seeing arguably the two best pitchers in baseball facing off against each other. And I feel like something like that would have garnered more national interest than Yankees and Nationals and Mets and Braves. And I can already hear Eric saying right now, but the Mets aren't as good as the Yankees. Well, here's the thing about that. On opening day... There is no team that has a higher winning percentage than the New York Mets. We're not going to talk about the rest of the season for this particular point. But on opening day, the Mets actually have a better chance than on any day to be that competitive team that will put up a quality matchup against the Yankees. We know how I feel about the Mets. We know how Eric feels about the Mets. Opening day, Jacob DeGrom versus Garrett Cole. That would have been a dream matchup to see on opening day to have a great – Evan Roberts called it a celebration of baseball. I say it would have been a feel-good moment that it would have drawn everybody into it. And, Eric, I want to start with you. What do you think? I think you're out of your mind. Yeah, there's the Eric I know. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I don't agree with you. I'm sorry. You're yeah. being too regional. You're caring too much about – Okay, so are you Yankees. really you're, telling you're me the Nationals too much. You're putting that. too much into DeGrom. He's not a national name, a national figure still. He might be a great pitcher, but nationally, I uh, think we, more people out there would want to see the defending champions against the New York Yankees. They don't have the a Mets national fan base, though. Nobody cares about the Nationals. Nobody cares about they the were Nationals. Good. They were a growing fan base at the end of last season. They were a growing Because everybody base, loves them to be a front it's runner. It's still regional. And it's still you're getting last year's world champion back on TV against the uh, a team that looks like it's going to be a contender. I have zero issues with the way they set this schedule up so far from what I've seen. I don't see an issue. The Yankees and the Mets are going to play six times. I think that's plenty in a 60-game season anyway. So it, it, it's, it's, it's just not necessary in my opinion. It, 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 would, it, would be, it would be trying for the sake of trying. It would be – I don't know. It would be too much fan service for me. Too much fluff. It would be nothing behind it. Yankees, Nationals, at least you got a reason for it. There's no reason other than just, you know, nobody out there outside of New York cares about the Mets and the Yankees playing each other. And nobody just, outside just of Washington cares about the Nationals. So I say you go with the New York fan base because the New York fan base is bigger than the Washington fan base. And again, how often do you see two defending Cy Young Award winners go against each other? You don't see that. Fife, let's see. Oh, no, let's see. Well, Fife, yeah, yeah. Dave, yeah. Fife, what are you guys thinking? I want to go to Fife first because Fife's the Braves fan here. What do you think? 
Well, I mean, I can only go from a personal standpoint on this one because, like, you know, me and baseball, Eric knows. And I can be honest with you, as I've gotten older, I can sit down and watch. I will watch a Braves game here and there. And the Braves games that I watch the most are Braves versus the Mets. Uh, as a casual baseball fan, somebody who has always loved the Braves since I was little, uh, my brother and Christmas this year gave me a Braves hat and a shirt, and he said, I think this is the best chance they've had in a long time to win. They're actually my pick to make a deep run and make a shot at the World Series. So here's your hat for the year. I said, all right. My brother was one of the guys. My brother hates the New York Giants. In 07, he bet on them pre-playoffs to win the Super Bowl. So I like to go with his bets. He's very good at what he sees. And uh, <laughs> But uh, I, for me, as a casual baseball fan, as a Braves fan, I'm watching Braves Mets. I'm not watching Yankees Mets. Uh, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I think I would probably fall into the category like five. Like, I'd watch Mets, Yankees, but I could care less about Yankees and Braves. So, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, could, I really kind of do side with what Fife was saying. It's just, I mean, at this point, I'll just take watching any type of live sport. I really don't care at this point. So well, They played the Yankee Inner Squad game yesterday. You could have watched it live on Yes. <laughs> yeah, see, it's not like I follow the Yankees where I'm aware of this information. But also to that Nationals point, like, you could say they don't have a fan base, but, but until the Royals started making runs, the only guy I saw wearing KC hats was my brother through the early 2000s. And, and so, and are those know, guys uh, wearing championships, championships have a, a a great way of bringing a fan base out of the out of the woodworks, you know what I mean? So it could be a, a nice little spectacle. Cause everybody Plus, loves as a Yankees. kid, think about it. Plus, as a kid, think I about it. How many Bulls – how many Bulls fans were around here? How many Dallas fans were around here? How many, you know, every team that was, like, really good in the 90s, kids tended to, like, kind of root for, kind of go with, kind of want to, you know, like, think about it. You guys do it, too. You, Dave, you're a Bulls fan and a Cowboys fan. I, Why did you say, watch like, Troy Aikman, Emmitt Smith, Michael here. Jordan? Like, there it is. You're forgetting yeah, one. I'm, I'm, I'm a prime example of that point. You're forgetting one thing, though, and that is – you know, the Cowboys had a history to fall back on because I'm one of those guys like Dave who started being a Cowboy fan during those years in the, in the mid-90s. They haven't won anything in 20 years. I feel like me and Dave are the exceptions because I'm sure a lot of those guys who were Cowboy fans in the 90s stopped watching the Cowboys the second they started Not sucking. Not true. I don't I stop watching the Bulls. stopped watching the Bulls. But I wouldn't say everybody. And Mike, I hate I hate to have to correct you on this, but we're we're officially at twenty five years. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, like, I'm so I, I hate, sorry. I hate to correct you on that one, but I mean, if we're going to be honest, we got to be honest, and it, it's been a long time. Uh, and uh, you know, we got to accept that. But I, I think it's kind of a combination of what both of you guys are saying. Like, some of them did drop off. Some of them switched to other teams. I mean, I'll be completely honest with you guys. I did it with hockey. I think it was ninety. Four, the Rangers won, and 95, the Devils won. And 94, after the Rangers won, I was a Rangers fan. The Devils won. I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to be a Devils fan. Yes, now, 25 years later, I'm still a Devils fan. But I hopped from one team to another when I was 10, 11 years old. No, no hesitation, no problem. I mean, and that's also another thing with the Cowboys, with the fans that didn't drop off. got to keep in mind, Dallas really didn't start to suck until 98. 
Like, they were still a competitive football team. They just, after 98, and Emmett went to Arizona, Irvin retired, and by 99, Aikman had to retire due to the, uh, the injuries. Like, you know, so it's not like Dallas had two or three years after their last Super Bowl where they were still a Super Bowl competitor. So, I mean, I think that's part of why you would say those numbers haven't dwindled so much as they probably would have if, you know, they won that Super Bowl in 95 and then it was like, you know, mediocrity for the next 20-plus years. My friend Mahul is a perfect example of that. He was a Cowboys fan when they were winning in the 90s. And uh, not that he jumped to a better team because for some strange reason the kids are Jets fans now. But, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he was a Cowboys fan when they were a championship squad. But then he, as he got older, he's like, you know, I really would rather root for a local team. And he hated the Giants because, I, you know, me and him always had heated battles. And uh, so he went to the Jets. Mm. Now, all I got to ask is how many of those Royals fans who became Royals fans after they won the World Series are still Royals fans? Uh, I'm sure they're still Royals fans. You might not see as much powdered blue around. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying. I want to say the same thing I said at the beginning. You missed the golden opportunity here, baseball. I feel like the ratings are going to be the ratings no matter what because people just want their sports back. But I feel like you really could have galvanized the entire New York fan base, Mets fans and Yankee fans. That would have been a golden opportunity. The Subway Series, I think everybody can admit, has lost its luster. Because, it's definitely dropped off. Yeah, no, it's dropped off. I still like seeing it, but there's – there's nothing special about it anymore because it happens every year. They, they always play at least four times every season. You put it on opening day. That's the first matchup you see back from this whole pandemic. You have the opportunity to make it special again. And I'm sorry, the idea of two Cy Young Award winners facing off against each other, name another time you can remember that happening. I actually want to move on to the next topic anyway. I don't know how you guys feel. You guys may have already talked about it. But it's got to be the lead of the show. Probably was. So I got to get my two cents in on it. Um, the contract for Mahomes. We get into this yet? Oh, Dave didn't think you would want to talk about that. The, the contract for Mahomes? No, Mahomes? The contract for, no, the contract Whoa, for Dak. Mike, I said I know he oh. wouldn't want to talk about the impact it would have on Dak's contract. I figured he could care oh. less about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't give a shit what it means for Dak because Dak's not going to get more money than Mahomes. But – the way I – I don't know how the contract's structured, so I have to see how it's structured because from what I'm hearing is it's backloaded, which means that Kansas City can get away from a lot of the money later on. If that's the case, then I think it, it, it bodes well. I mean, either way, I mean, I think it, it's good for Kansas City. They can cut him at any time. His market value eventually, I guess, will be worth it. And apparently from what I've read – the amount of the percentage of the cap that he's actually signed for is a percentage of the cap that could actually work for the team. Uh, I read a stat that years ago when Brett Favre had a record-breaking contract, I had like over a hundred million dollar contract or whatever it was at the time. It was the exact same salary cap percentage as Mahomes' contract is now, being like at five hundred and three million over the next ten or twelve years, whatever it is. So um, I don't know. I as far as impacting Dak. I, I think Dak's still going to get big money. He's still going to get in the 30s. I don't know if he's going to touch 40, but Mahomes is uh, getting paid, and I don't think he plays another five years probably. I'll be honest. I think he is an injury or two away from a, a, a big decline with the way he plays. He's already had injuries. So 
I don't know. I just figured throw it to you guys now. What do you guys think of the contract? Well, Dave, you want to take it? Yeah, I mean, I'll say what I said before. I think all told it's 12 years, $503 million, $140 million guaranteed. The last five, the back end five years and the 12 years is tied to percentage of the salary cap. The least he can make on this deal is $503 million. If the salary cap bubbles up the way they're expecting it to, I think he could be pushing five fifty. dollars uh, the, There's a no-trade clause. There's a whole bunch of little, like, clauses mixed in to benefit Mahomes. This is a deal that's good for both. And like I said, when we talked about it before, I do think he can make it through this whole contract. And no matter what, he's going to make more money over this time, this period of time of 12 years, just in NFL contracts. He'll probably, to me, in my opinion, is going to make more money than even what this contract's projected for. And I think a large part of that will be the percentage of the cap just due to the fact that the salary cap in the next five, six years is supposed to almost double. So, so you I think honestly think he's going to make it longer? You think he's making this whole contract, the, he, that he is, he is in Kansas City for the next 10 to 12? You, yes. you, that's what you think? Yes. Ouch. Look, I, look, I'm not disagreeing with the fact that he's shown some injury issues this past season. But the year before that, he won an MVP. Yeah, but if you think about it, too, he's got an MVP. He's got all the accolades. He's got all the accolades and all the money now. What is his motivation? He has the world championship, the Super Bowl MVP, the league MVP, and the money. What is his motivation to continue to win? I don't know if I see the killer instinct driving force in him. That's why I question it. Well, you do realize that he was caught by reporters. Yes, this morning, working out at 7 a.m., and when they asked him, why are you working out right now, his response was, there's still more rings to collect. And he walked away after an almost three-hour workout on, I gotta right go after he signed now. that contract and was up at 7 a.m. working out. So I understand why you're saying that. He hasn't really shown a lot of that, or at least a lot of it hasn't been caught on camera or pictures. But the guy, the guy wants to win. I actually agree with both of you here. Uh, number one, I think Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are great for one of the great NFL organizations, Kansas City Chiefs, and that's awesome. But uh, I, I think they needed a revamp because Kansas City, to me, has always been an awesome place, like Arrowhead State, all of it. But I think Eric's right in the fact where, take it from a guy who is not a professional athlete, but – used to sit on a bar stool seven nights a week and then go play hockey during the day and be fine when I was in my 20s. Now I take care of myself, and if I go play hockey, it hurts, dude, for like a day and a half. Four more years of ankle injuries, and he's not going to be able to limp through them like he did this year. So he's either going to have to rely on that arm a little bit more and stop getting hit, or Eric's right, it's going to happen. Like, it's inevitable. I hate to say it, but it's inevitable. As you get older, the bones get weaker. And then I agree with Dave because I think when you come – a guy like Mahomes comes out of the gates like he did, MVP, Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP. Now that's in your first three years. In one of those years you sat on the bench, you have a chance, if you have a productive next 10 years, 
to be in the talks of being better than Tom Brady. You have a chance, and that guy wants that more than he wants anything else. That's true. That's true. I'll say this. I don't think I don't think he makes it through the whole contract, but I do think he plays his whole career in Kansas City. So you think he gets hurt before the end of it too? Huh? No, I just don't think I players don't play that whole contract for whatever reason. Either either the team opts out of the contract or there's a loophole that the player gets out of it or something like that. I just don't think the you know, Dave kind of brought it up earlier. The ten-year contract, especially when there's only about 140 million guaranteed on it of a 500 million dollar contract, I just don't think he's going to. I, I, there's going to be a renegotiation at some point, or there's going to be an opt-out or something. But he's going to be on the Chiefs his whole career. If you had to pick a Super Bowl, if you had to pick the AFC Championship winner today for the next season, who would it be? I can tell you who the matchup's going to be. It's going to be Cam's led Patriots with Belichick versus Mahomes and Kansas City. And I think that's going to be a hell of a matchup. That's my I prediction. Because I think it's a three-horse race, and I think one of those two knocks out Baltimore. I think it's a three-horse race in that AFC, um, in my opinion. I don't know. And which quarterback's say. still walking. Yeah, exactly. That's or, That, or that could be a big factor. COVID. Yeah. Could be all big factors. <laughs> All right. So with that, any final thoughts here? Again, glad Fife could make it. Glad Eric was able to make it. Happy to be back after missing a week and look forward to doing this again next week. Yep. All right. So that'll do it for us here. I'll do final thoughts for everyone. Now that was Dave Hastings. Eric Tressler. Uh, no, again, great talking with Fife. Great having him on. Uh, always, uh, he, he's our go-to hockey guy. A.K.A. Larry Schmelrose. Um, I even got the mullet. So our most, oh, you're our most trusted source. So I'm always happy when we get a chance to get him on, talk, get his opinion on things. Um, great talking. Till next week, guys. Stay sweaty. And uh, you know, if you want, tell your mom. Dirty works ten o'clock tonight. It's on later. Right. No presidente. When we getting on bar stool, man. Let's go. Slice of pizza on me. All right. Five. Thanks for coming. <laughs> Fife, thanks for coming on, man. You got any final thoughts? I just thank you guys for having me. This is a blast. It was actually the highlight of my day. And uh, I'd be happy to do it again. And I will try not to babble as much next time. I was just really excited. Ah, that's all right. You did fine. You did good, my friend. I thank you for coming on. And I'm Mike, yep, I'm Mike Aglioloro. Thank you, everybody, for listening on all our podcasting outlets, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you all next week.